If you have your phone and your Bible app, go ahead and flip that on. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. If you have a physical Bible, go ahead and crack open those pages and turn to Colossians 1. That's where we're going to be today. And while you're getting there, I want to talk about my wife a little bit. Um, my wife, Elena Guido, might be one of the healthiest persons you have ever met in your entire life. Um, she, uh, she was gluten-free before gluten-free was a thing. We'd go to restaurants and people would be like, wait, so you can't have, what, what does that mean you can't have gluten? It's like anything made with wheat. Girl, what, what, are you, what are you supposed to eat? You can't have bread? What are you supposed to consume? And, and so because of that, you know, in a lot of ways we um, don't eat out a lot. And even if we go grocery shopping, a lot of times um, there's many ingredients that, she, many, many products that she won't buy because quite frankly, the devil's ingredients are in those products. And so what happens is a lot of times she ends up having to um, cook all of our meals from scratch, uh, which is a lot of work, but it's actually pretty cool because she's very good at it. And there's one meal in particular that um, if you were invited over to our house for dinner, and my wife were to ask me, what should I make for dinner? A hundred percent of the time, my answer would be, what? Lamb curry. Lamb curry. Okay, I don't know what you feel about lamb or curry or those of two together. But my wife makes this lamb curry. She goes and she grabs, I don't know if it's a lamb thigh, leg, hip, I don't know what it is. But she sticks it in this pot and she puts all the spices and she puts the curries and she puts all the herbs and all that stuff. And she's cooking this thing for the greater part of five hours. So the aroma of it is absolutely filling our house. And, and if there was one meal where when my wife shouts out to the house, hey, everybody, it's time for dinner, that nobody's dragging their feet, it is this meal. And, and as uh, my son walks up, he, he looks, he's like, what's for dinner? And he sees lamb curry and he does the let's go dance, right? And my daughter is just like, oh my gosh, it smells so good. And, and so we all grab our bowls and, and you scoop up that sticky rice. It's the stickiest rice you've ever seen in your life. It is so sticky you could repair broken down bridges with it, right? And we're, we're putting it in our bowls and you get your wooden ladle, not a steel ladle, it's wooden. And you scoop up your lamb curry and you pour it on top. And we all sit down at the table and I praise God for what we're about to put into our mouths. We sit down to eat and we consume this meal after which... I finish my first bowl, I'm hungry, so I go back and I grab a second bowl and I come and I eat my second bowl. But I'm not, I'm not quite satisfied yet. And so I go back for the third bowl, which I sit down and I eat. And then when I'm finished, go to the sink like a gentleman, wash out my plate as you should, come back to the table, sit down. And without fail, every single time I say, that was so good, that was so good. I literally cannot eat anymore. I am completely satisfied. And I feel like there is something in the beginning of this book in Colossians that we're going to get in a message that I'm calling full to bursting. So go ahead and write that down, full to bursting. I'm going to start us off. I'm going to read in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. It says, and so from the day we heard we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, 
who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God, I just pray that as we, as we study this truth, you would open it up, encourage our heart, expand what we're able to know and comprehend so that we can draw close to you. I pray that you do it for your name and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here we have this letter. This is what's called one of the Pauline epistles. Here's a guy, Paul, who has, for the greater part of the early church, done everything he could to try to tear down that church. But then miraculously, God encounters him and changes his life in such a way that now he is doing everything that he can to help build that church that he once tore down. And so he does that in many different ways. He does that by going out and starting churches. He does that by, by encouraging people, by, by pouring into them. And he does that through things like this, writing letters, right? This church in Colossae, Colossae was a town, right? Um, he had never been to Colossae, but his buddy Epaphras is the guy who started this church. And so what Paul wants to do is he wants to encourage the church. And this is that letter. And, and he starts off, and what's the first thing that he says? He says, and so from the day we have heard of you, heard of this church, this work that God is doing in Colossae, we have not ceased to pray for you. Which shows me two things right out the gate. One, there is a deep level of significance to what he's about to pray for. If he hasn't stopped praying for it, right, this is important. Okay, and second, that Paul is very good at praying for people. This, this, is, this is one of his strengths, right? And, and, and you see this throughout all these, these letters. He's always saying things like, man, every time I think about you, I'm praying for you. Every time I sit down to pray, I'm remembering what God has done and I'm thankful and I'm praying for you, right? And in this case, he says, I have not ceased to pray. And it doesn't mean that he's sitting down on top of a mountaintop like a, like a, a monk, you know, in the Himalayas just like praying unceasingly. No, it's that every time he sits down to pray and he thinks about them, this is what he's praying for. Every time he's going through his day and he's, he's, he's thinking about that church in Colossae, man, he's praying for them. And, and, and I love that because that's a strength that Paul has. Me, I don't remember anything, ever. I never remember stuff. In fact, there was, there was, there was a, 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 a couple days ago, Pastor Levi was talking about a sermon illustration. Um, and I didn't remember the sermon illustration. The only thing is it was my sermon illustration. And he said, well, at least one of us remembers your teaching illustrations, right? I, I just, that's not my strength. That's not what I'm good at. What am I good at? Well, I'm good at dreaming. I, I'm, I'm good at forward thinking. I'm good at thinking inside the box and, and outside the box and around the box. And so I'm going to do everything I can to use the strengths that God's given me to help build the church. Here, here is Paul using the strengths God's given him to build the church. And so the question I would ask is, what has God given you? What are the strengths that he has deposited into your life? I mean, we're getting into application. We haven't even started yet, you know. But the thing is, he's made us all unique and different. And he wants to weave us together to be the church. And so are you good at web design? Man, awesome. Join the team. You know, we need you. Are you a video editor? Awesome. We'd love to have you be a part of what's going on. Are you really good at cupping your hand just perfectly so that when you go in for the bro hug double tap, whack, that, that, that good solid pop, right? And then the pop, pop on the back. If you're good at that, we want you on our welcome team. Except you have to convert it to, you know, fist bumps. But eventually we're going to get there. We're going to get back there, I promise. Okay? Are you effervescent in your personality? Could you help us lead watch parties? Could you um, lead a Fresh Life group online? Join the team. What is it that God has put in you? How are you going to use your strengths to build the church? Sorry, we're getting hot already. The thing is, 
Um, the easiest way for you to do that is jump in Crash Course. I don't know if you've heard of it or not, whatever, but if you jump into Crash Course at a campus or online, we're going to do the best we can to help you figure out where you could fit in and build the church with what God's given you. But moving along, okay, so what is he praying for? What is so important? What is he praying for? He says this in the second half of verse 9. It says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He wants us to be filled with knowing. Filled with knowing. Knowing what? God's will. That's just a really fancy way of saying what God wants. Right? I could say, it is my will to go to five guys after this and eat a delicious hamburger. Except I would never say that. I would just say, I want five guys after this because their burgers are tasty, right? So this is a fancy way of saying that, that this, of what God wants. But what does he want us to be filled with? Filled. Fully satisfied, right? Lamb curry after the third bowl. I can't take any more. When you, man, when you get to that third bowl, you smile more. You, you laugh, you, you kind of sit back in your chair and you just enjoy life, right? He's talking about full satisfaction and it begs the question, what exactly is it that God wants? Well, if you want to know what somebody wants, you have to get to know them a little bit, right? If I, if I want to know what my wife wants, I have to get to know her a little bit. And we'll get into that a little bit more, we'll dig into that. But he specifically wants us to be filled up in two different ways, okay? Um, the, the first is in all spiritual wisdom, and the second is in all spiritual understanding. Now, some of your translations, depending on what you're reading, it might say all wisdom and spiritual understanding, or it might say all spiritual wisdom and understanding, but the idea is that the words all and spiritual are ascribed to both wisdom and to understanding. Now, my sister and I, we were talking about wisdom the other day, and I had come up with this really clever um, analogy in a mathematical equation where I said wisdom is basically time multiplied by experience, right? Because I got a lot of gray hairs pushing out of my beard, and I like to think that when you see my gray hairs, that you would feel like I was wise, that you were sitting in a position of wisdom, right? Um, the only thing is she kind of pushed on that a little bit, and she's like, I think you can be old and have lots of gray hairs and not be very wise at all. And so then I was like, okay, okay. And I went back, and I looked at the, the Greek word. It's sophia. Sophia, that is the word that is describing wisdom in this case. And it, and it doesn't talk about time and experience. It talks about acuteness and experience or an awareness and experience. So let's put it this way. If my wife was creating the sticky rice that we most desperately love, right, and I'm excited in anticipating this meal and I go over and I grab the lid to the sticky rice in order to lift it and allow the aromas of the rice to come into my nose, right, but then realizing I'm now aware of the fact that the lid of this pot is way too hot for me to touch with my tiny, fragile little hands, at which point I drop the lid, I cause a mess, right? I have now gained wisdom through this experience that I have been made aware of, right? But the thing is, we're not just talking about a generic experience. We're talking about all spiritual wisdom. So what does that look like? What does that look like to be aware, spiritually aware in the midst of the experience? My family is on spring break right now. Our kids get two weeks. We get two weeks in Jackson. I know it's unfair, but this is how we do it in Jackson. We get two weeks. So last week, we went to Moab. And Moab is, beyond the shadow of a doubt, the most amazing, awe-inspiring, breathtaking, astoundingly beautiful place I have ever been to in my entire life. It is 
completely out of control, and I am disappointed. I am disappointed that I have never been there before because I have been missing out for the greater part of 39 years. And so we were there. And, and, and you know, most people probably experience Moab in different ways. You're driving through these canyon lands and you're seeing these rocks bursting out of the ground, right? And, and, you're, and you're seeing the cliffs and you're, the jeep trails and the, you know, off-roading and all the, all the cool stuff. And you just think like, wow, Moab's a cool spot. What a neat spot. This is so pretty, so cool. But it's an entirely different thing to be aware of the spiritual ramifications that have gone into our creator designing and building this work of art. Because now, the next day after we slept in our tent, not very well, you know, and I'm like white knuckle gripping my steering wheel, leaning as close as I can to the windshield to take in this view of these mountains that look like they were literally just pushed out of the ground and these canyons that have been ripped through with um, wild gushing rivers and, and, you, and these, these towers that are 700 feet tall that look like, like Play-Doh falling from the sky stacking on top of each other, right? And, and I am gripped with this incredible sense of awe at the creative majesty of our God building all this. Say, they're both experiences, one, spiritually aware. And, and now this has informed what I know about God. This has informed what I know about his creativity, right? You're, you're spiritually aware. The thing is, you have to pay attention or you'll miss out. Because God is always working. He's always moving. He's always shaping and changing and influencing and encouraging. But you'll miss it if you're not looking for it. It's, it's, it's a continuous effort, right? You, you have to look up. How do you spot a tourist in the city? Right? It's, it's these guys. They're, they're the only ones that are still in wonder, awestruck at, wow, look at these things, right? We can do that in the midst of our everyday life if we're not paying attention. In, uh, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So they are without excuse for knowing God. It's that conscious effort. God actually uses phrases uh, like seek and, and you will find him. In, in Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13 he says, this is a promise that he has given us. He says you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And so we're looking for him in everything, right? That, that it's informing, that we're gathering wisdom from, from recognizing who God is in, in all the things. But not only that, it's spiritual understanding, right? If you don't understand something, what do you have to do? Well, you have to learn. If you don't understand something, what do you do? Excuse me, I have a question, right? Um, you, you, have to, you, have to, you have to ask a question. You have to read a book, right? You have to watch a video or go to school, right? I, I am a musician, and so I play guitar, and I've, I've played every amp that you could possibly ever imagine, all, of, all the different brands, and I found myself dissatisfied with all the things 
I could not find the sound that I wanted. So I decided to embark on this journey of learning how to build my own amplifier. Here's the problem. I am not an electrical engineer, and that is what amplifiers are. It's all electrical engineering, and it's actually very dangerous. At any given moment, there are 350 volts of power that are stored up in this circuit, and if you screw up once, that is the end. Like, you're done. And so it's kind of important that I understand what it is that I'm doing. And it's cool because at the end of this journey of reading videos and reading books and testing that my first amplifier caught on fire, but then I was able to save it, you know? And at the end of it, I, en I ended up with something that works great and sounds amazing, and, and, I, and I love it. And the thing is, I still don't have a degree in electrical engineering, but I'm a lot closer to knowing than I ever was before because I started to understand, right? I'm further than I was before. You have to become a student. Become a student of what? Of who? Of God. Become a student of God. And, and you do that through this. You, you sit down and you think, I don't understand. Okay, well, start reading. You don't have to understand. You, you don't have to be an electrical engineer to build an app. You just have to start learning and just start diving in. And, and one of the, the best ways, one of my favorite ways that you can, you can learn is by doing it in community. You do it by, by joining a group. My wife and I, Elena, we, we actually lead two different um, Fresh Life groups. One for our church online crowd where we're going through the book of Acts. And it's so simple. It's so easy. All we do is we take a chapter in the book of Acts and we say, okay, write down what encourages you. Write down what inspires you. What, what, write down something that, that, uh, that challenges you. Or write down a question. And then what we do is we get together for an hour every week and we just talk about it. We do the same thing with a, a group in Jackson. We just finished the book of Colossians. And now we're going into the book of Philippians. And it's just so cool because there's no shame in asking questions. If anything, that's, that's what creates the greatest conversation because now we're chewing on it together. It's a community thing. And so I would encourage you, if you're not a part of a group, go join a group. Go jump into one. Grow in community. Grow in your, your spiritual understanding. But all of this for what? All of it for what? He says this, Colossians 1 verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. No, I, I don't know if you're like me, but reading through something like that can be a little bit discouraging. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And I don't know you and you don't know me, but I know a lot of times my intentions are not pure. I know a lot of times the decisions I make are not right. I know that a lot of times my motives are selfish and self-centered and full of pride. And so when I read something like that, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, I just think, I don't think I can do that. A life that's worthy? I mean, who are we talking about? We're talking about God, right? I'm not even worthy to speak his name. This is the God who cannot be described with words. Our, our words, they have, they have limits, right? And yet he has none. And so our words, they're just not sufficient, right? They come up empty. Our imagination, it creates pictures, and even those fall short because he cannot be seen. 
An image would merely put a, a constraint on him who has no beginning and no end. A God who has attributes that we cannot count because counting them would restrain the potential of his unlimited personality, a personality that created the vast wilderness that we have underneath our feet that, that we couldn't explore the entirety of within 100,000 lifetimes. We couldn't climb every mountain. We couldn't float every river. We couldn't see every sunset. We couldn't experience every full moon. Heck, we can't even count the grains of sand, even though that is limited by a number. In my life, I'm supposed to walk in a manner that's worthy of him? No, I can't do that. My life will never be worthy. Your life will never be worthy. And that's okay. You know what's beautiful about all this? It's not the fact that you're striving or trying to be perfect. What makes your walk worthy is not you being worthy. What makes your walk worthy is who you're walking toward. Who you're walking toward is what makes it. Who, who you're chasing after is what makes this a worthy walk. Who you're pursuing, who you're living for, that is what makes this walk worthy. And so we have to answer that question being filled with the knowledge of what God wants. What does God want? He wants you. You are who he wants. When Jesus was put on the spot, point blank, they asked him, what's the, what's the greatest thing that we should do with our lives? He said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. In other words, he wants us to be full to bursting. He, he wants he wants us to, to, to be able to, um, he wants us to be able to, to, to know what the most important thing is. If, if God is the ultimate source of joy and life and grace, then the most loving thing he could do for us is to give, his, give us himself. He wants our heart to explode chasing after him. And here's what is so brilliant. Somehow, in that pursuit, it becomes fully pleasing to God. My, my greatest satisfaction being in him ends up becoming his great joy. A long time ago, a bunch of people got together and they tried to figure out what is it that is our purpose? What are we here to do? And, and they came up with this statement. And they said, the man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever which is pretty cool. But I really like what John Piper has done in making a little spin on that. He says, no, man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying God forever. That puts a very difference by enjoying him, by it being completely satisfied in who he is. It's how we feed our souls so when you have something like, like what God says in, in Psalm 34, verse 8, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, it's kind of weird. How do I do that? How do I taste and see that the Lord is good? Well, you allow him to fill you up. You allow him to encourage your heart. You allow him to, to, to fill you up in such a way that you would burst out 
And what are we bursting out? This is the cool part. Oh, my goodness. Here we go. In, in the second half of verse 10, he says, we burst out what? Bearing fruit in every good work. So not only were you living life and doing good things, good luck trying to bear fruit on top of that on your own. That's going to be a chore. Good luck doing that for your whole life. But what happens is, as we allow God to fill us as we're chasing after him and he's filling us up. Now, the natural reaction is, in every good thing we're doing, it's already bearing fruit. Because there are spiritual ramifications to what we're doing. Not only that, we're increasing in the knowledge of God. Right? We're growing in our understanding. of We're getting to know him better. My wife is an Enneagram 4. I'm an Enneagram 7. I don't know if you care about Enneagrams. It doesn't really matter. The thing is, 7 and 4 are as opposite as you could possibly imagine. And so a lot of times, I don't understand her world. But what I'm willing to do is read a book on Enneagram 4s. Because I want to increase in the knowledge of my wife. I want to know her better in the same way as we're chasing after God. We're increasing in the knowledge of who he is. It goes on in verse 11. It says, being strengthened with all power. Being strengthened with your power? No. Being strengthened with all power. All power is only reserved for God alone. He is the only one with all power. It's according to his glorious might. It's a power without limit. You can't put a meter on it. You can't measure it because it's absolutely infinite in its potential, right? We're strengthened by who he is. I'm, I'm not scared because I'm with him. I don't have to worry or be afraid because I'm with him. And I love this because Paul in another, another letter to the Ephesians, he writes this. He says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. He says that kind of power he used to raise Jesus Christ up from the dead. And I used to think that that was a power that was given to me. No, it was never given to me. If you look at it, it says his great, the greatness, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. He's directing it towards us. If he gave it to us, then we wouldn't need him anymore. If, if my son wanted to drive my car, which he can't for a long time, but if he did, I would have to give him the keys. Right? I'd give him the keys and then he could drive my car. But then he has to come back to get the keys again if he ever wants to drive it. If I were to give him the car, he doesn't need me for the car anymore. No, God wants us to engage with him. He wants us to be close to him, right? It's, it's, it's not given to us, it's directed toward us. And so the challenge is to come and drink deep. Sit under the flow of who he is and allow that power to fill up your heart. And when we're filled, there are spiritual ramifications to what happens. What's one? He says that you, that, that we would be filled with all endurance, with all patience, with joy. We have, we have everything that we need to, to, to continue to go and to work and, and to do the things that God has encouraged us to do. We have endurance to, to do it all. We, we have the patience that we need to continue to trust well past the point of no resolve. Well past the point of this isn't, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know what this, how this is going to work, right? But we have that patience to just trust because I don't know. I look at you and I think you've got this. So I don't need to worry. And then we have this joy that could never be taken away. 
this joy like a rampart for our soul, this protection for our heart that can never be taken away, right? We're bursting with fruit. We're bursting with knowledge. We're bursting with strength through his power. And this is my favorite. We're bursting with thankfulness. Bursting with thankfulness. The passage wraps up. His prayer wraps up. And he says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Bursting with thankfulness. It's not, not what we deserved. It's not what we deserved. That's, that's why we take the knee. But even though we didn't deserve it, we've been given the greatest gift that we could ever have. But let me challenge you with something. I don't think that the greatest gift that you have ever been given is your salvation. The greatest gift that you have ever been given is not your salvation. What Jesus accomplished through the cross his death, his burial, his resurrection, us being transferred from darkness into the kingdom of sin, us having redemption and the forgiveness of sins, that, that is not the greatest gift that we've ever been given. It's merely a means to the greatest gift that we've ever been given, which is God himself. God himself is the greatest gift that we've ever been given because if salvation was the greatest gift that we've ever been given, we, we receive it and then what? Nothing? Nothing else? We've already gotten it? No, the idea is that God wants us to chase him. He wants us to chase him with our life, chase him with everything we are. Jesus said, I am the way to the Father. This is the beginning of the journey. He says, I am a gate. He opens up the gate, and this enables us to experience the joy of who God is, and the result is us bursting with thankfulness. God, thank you so much that you would allow me, me, tiny little Kevin Guido, to be able to experience the power of who you are for the rest of my life. And this is only possible through Jesus. God, our great treasure and joy, we have access to him because of what Jesus has done. It says that the Father qualified us. Because we were qualified? No, because of what Jesus has done. It, he, he has enabled us to share in this inheritance. You don't get an inheritance unless you're part of the family. And so Paul talks about how, how when we put our faith and our trust into Jesus, we are now adopted into the family of God. We get to share in what? The inheritance of the saints in light. Who are the saints in light? It's all the people who've gone before us. It's, it's Paul, right? And he's sitting under the glorious light and majesty of God. And he says, you get to share now in the inheritance. You get to stand next to Paul as an adopted son and daughter of the king for the rest of eternity, exploring the wonder of who he is. We're not worthy to see him, right? If I'm not worthy to speak his name, I'm way less worthy to ever stand in his presence. But we become worthy because of what Jesus has done. We become worthy because now if our faith and our hope is placed into who Jesus is and what he has done in his death and his burial and his resurrection from the grave, conquering death, God Almighty coming into his creation and rescuing it, 
if, if I place my hope and my trust and my faith in what Jesus has done, then now God sees me as holy and blameless. What does it say? It says we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Imperfection cannot be in the presence of God, but now I'm able to be in the presence of God because of what Jesus has done for me. Have you ever accepted that? Do you want this great gift? It's amazing to think of God and his creativity. While we're in Moab, you, you have these, these cliffs, these massive cliffs that are just going everywhere. And everywhere you, you go, you see people driving Jeeps and mountain biking and, and climbing. And it's so crazy because on these rocks that, that are stretching for several hundred feet in the air, these people climbing this, they look like little ants, <laughs> little tiny ants, all in the creation of what God has made. And, and I just kept thinking, there is no way for you to be able to climb every route in Moab. And Moab is just one tiny little aspect of everything that God's made. And, and, and so then I just start thinking like, goodness, so much creativity has gone into this, right? And this is just what God has, what he's created. We get to, for the rest of eternity, explore the heart and the personality of the one that has created the things that we are, we are in love with adventuring through. For all of eternity, we get to explore the heart and the personality of the one. If he's made these things that great, and this is just something he made, what would it be like to get to know him forever? The idea is that we would be full to bursting. If you've never given your heart to God, if you've never trusted in the, what God accomplished through the cross, I want to give you a chance to do that. It's so easy. You just, you, God says you just pray. You just believe in your heart that, that Jesus is God and, and you confess with your mouth that, that, that he was raised from the dead in order to transfer us from that domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now, I'm gonna give you a chance to do that, but, but real quick, I, I, I want us to think about a question. I don't know if you have ever fed a small child um, we have two children and they're not small anymore. But when they were small, you know, you get the little baby Gerber food jars and you have your little plastic spoon, you know, and they're sitting in their high chair, they got their bib on and, and you're, you're, you know, shoving pureed turkey into their mouth, right? And it's going all over their face and, and, you, and you keep doing that and you're, you know, having conversations and, and eventually you take out a spoon and then, then you go and it's like brick wall. It's just not going in, right? Like, and you ask the question, are you awful? You awful, right? Chris Gwynn, our campus pastor uh, in Kalispell, he says his, his daughter just smacks it out of the way. Right? It's just boom. There's no brick wall. It's just I'm done, right? Uh, fiery little child. And, um, and so you ask the question, are you awful? And, it, and it's interesting because you see this theme in this passage, right, that, that, that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom, in all spiritual understanding, that we would experience the greatness of all of his power to have all endurance and all patience and joy. It begs the question, am I awful? Am I awful? 
full to bursting. But I, I think it's, it's kind of a misconstrued question because you can't be full to bursting unless you are filled with awe. You can't be full to bursting unless you can get on your knees and recognize the glorious might, the power, the infinite wisdom, the uncontainable majesty and glory of who God is. You don't have to do anything. It's all been done for you. All you have to do is just take it in. Be filled with awe. Be filled with reverence. Be filled with mystery, curiosity, exploration. God wants to move in your heart. He wants to move in your life. He desires like a father reaching out to his son, like a, like, like a, like a daughter reaching out to her father. He wants us to engage in this. And so I would challenge you to, to stoke the passion of your heart for God. Get into his word and start understanding who he is. Investigate, ask the questions. Go, be paying attention to your life as you're living and look for God in all the intricate, beautiful ways that he is involved in your life. I used to pray that God would allow me to see the spiritual world the way Neo sees the matrix, right? There's that turning point in the matrix when all of a sudden Neo looks up and he sees everything for what it actually is. And I would desperately pray, God, please, please let me see the spiritual realm like Neo sees the matrix. I just, I just want that. And I was bummed because he wouldn't answer my prayer. He didn't allow me to see that. But then I realized, and this is a, a rhythm that we have as a church, while, while we were fasting. So every year, at the beginning of the year, we have this time that we separate to, to fast, to, to sacrifice something in order to seek God. And sometimes it's food, sometimes it's other things. It doesn't matter. It's, we're, we're letting go in order to, to seek God. And I noticed that when I'm fasting, I become more aware of what God is doing all around me. When I'm fasting, I actually see, wait, he's moving in a miraculous way over here. Wait a minute, I didn't see that before. He's actually growing and changing and challenging. Wait a minute, you take a step back and you see, oh my gosh, everything is happening. It's all unfolding. It's not the way that I imagined it, like a movie. No, it was, it was more practical than that. You can't see the spiritual. It's, it has, it's invisible, right? But God enabled my heart to see it. I was aware. I was chasing after him. And I, I had taken, I'd done everything I could to be able to become more aware through fasting and through prayer. So I would challenge you, pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on. Seek God. Seek first his kingdom and all of these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for what you have done. One, in, in creating this marvel of, of where we live. Two, in, in, in being willing to step into that creation that you made. Three, in being willing to, to subject yourself to it. To the extent that you would give even your own life on the cross 
that you would die, that you would go into the grave. God, thank you that in three days you would burst out of that grave, conquering death forever and creating an opportunity for now me, for us to be able to stand in your presence forever and to drink in, to taste and see that you are good so that our hearts would be satisfied and so that you would get glory. Thank you for rescuing us. I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would so enlighten our hearts to see the ways that you're working and moving all, that we would grow in wisdom, spirit, all spiritual wisdom. God, I pray that you would create a desire inside of a stoke of fire to get into your word and to understand who you are to do it in community, to do it on our own, to, to just grow in our understanding. And I love, God, that we get to do that for all of eternity, all of eternity to explore the depths of who you are. Help us, God, to be full to bursting. And if you're here today and you've never given God your life, you've never trusted your heart to Jesus, I told you earlier, I would give you the opportunity to do that. And that opportunity is right now. If you wanna give your heart to Jesus, it's as simple as praying a prayer. And I'm gonna guide you through that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray this prayer. Our whole church is going to pray this prayer with you as, as, so that there's a sense of we're in this with you, okay? I'm gonna lead you in this prayer. And the thing is, this prayer isn't some magical, you know, it's not, there's no magical weight to it. It's just your heart in the position of your heart before God, you crying out to him, you reaching out to him, what you were made to do. And so if that's you in this moment, I would love you to lead you in that prayer. We could pray together. You could pray this. Say, dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead in order to save my life. Thank you for transferring me from darkness into light and giving me the hope to live for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to be aware of you in everything. I give you my life. In Jesus' name I pray. With all our heads bowed and eyes closed, if, if that was you, and this is that moment that you just drew a line in the sand. You might not know everything. That's okay. You're closer than you were before, right? You don't need to have all the questions answered. You just drew that line. If that was you and you just made this decision to give your heart to God, would you just raise your hand up on the count of three? Just raise it up as a, as a, a, as a way of surrendering your heart to God, to, to put a physical expression to a spiritual decision that you just made. So on the count of three, one, two, three. If that was you, raise up your hand. Come on, church, let's celebrate those who have made this decision.